Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is the Dutch organist and improviser Sitze de Vries. He is one of the few people on earth I like to fantasize about this famous story that Bach uh, had uh, a contest, improvisation contest with Louis Marchand, the French organist, and uh, Marchand fled the scene um, after having heard Bach improvise uh, in the rehearsal basically. The contest didn't happen. So I'd like to think that Sitze de Vries is one of the people who would stay, stay and fight and play and probably make Bach proud. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much, Sitze, for doing this uh, interview. I'm so excited to finally meet one of my uh, legendary organist improvisers of all time. Well, thank you. That's <laughs> very big to say, but uh, thanks. That's my favorite thing in the world, of course, improvising. Yes, and you are so generous to share your insights and knowledge with uh, the entire organ world, basically. Oh, but I think that's very important. Whatever important knowledge you have, you should share. Uh, that's really the basic thing. And it's so easy nowadays with the internet to share knowledge. So I really think that's very important. Yes. So let me start this conversation, Sitze, um, by asking you, do you remember uh, the time when you first fell in love with the organ and with improvisation? What what happened? How How it came into into this your love basically to this instrument well actually that's kind of hard to pinpoint because uh, according to my parents I always played the organ so we even have some pictures that I'm like three years old and I'm already trying to read organ at home uh, so basically it was the same as learning how to talk I learned how to make music so whatever music I heard and whatever instrument I could find uh, I would make music so as long as I can remember, I just wanted to make music, and not even only on the organ. Uh, I can remember when I was very uh, young that I even had a kind of plastic saxophone, and I loved that thing too, and a recorder, and whatever made noise, uh, I could make music with it. Wonderful. So, uh, so basically, uh, were your mu- uh, parents musicians also? No, that's actually the interesting part. Uh, I, I'm the only child from five that, that really was totally into music. Um, and, and, well, my parents had a little reed organ at home, so that was a great gift, of course. Uh, and, and they loved some church music, some choirs, some organs. So we had some music around, but not really that, um, that they loved music or that they were musicians, not at all. So I'm actually the, the odd one out in the family. Aha, uh-huh. I see. Uh, wonderful. Uh, did you have any other interest besides the organ when in your childhood? Maybe sports, maybe reading, maybe other things? Well, that's still the problem. Organs is almost my whole life. Um, I do basically about music and organs. And I do love to uh, make some paintings, drawings. 
but then again it's all about organs or churches so yeah I'm very one track minded that way Wonderful. So, Zitzia, um, I remember uh, my first experience with your uh, improvisation when I was a student at University of Nebraska-Lincoln studying with my wife, Oshra, for the doctoral program there. And I remember uh, listening to one of your CDs um, where you improvise in the style of Bach on the organ. And I, and I thought to myself... This is probably a resurrection of Bach. This feeling I had, you know. This was such a profound experience. The memory never let me uh, from, from, uh, from this site. From this and, and I still remember just as it happened, as it was today or yesterday, you know. Or, or, but it was like 10 years ago. So uh, I wonder uh, how you uh, became... Um, aware of the music of Bach and uh, how it influenced you? Well, you have to imagine um, if you really uh, grow up with music like I did, it, it becomes a language. And that's also how I teach it. I think it's exactly the same process. So uh, if music is actually your native language, that you can say whatever you want in music, whatever musical thought you have, you can reproduce. And course what happens then is if you like certain music and in my case indeed it was the music of Bach you want to reproduce that you want to do something in that style and that wasn't actually conscious in the beginning it was just that I liked that music and of course when I had my organ lessons I started playing music of Bach uh, of course starting with the, the eight little preludes and fugues that are not Bach at all uh, and then later the, the Orgelbüchlein and other pieces and whatever I learned in my organ lessons I wanted to improvise as well so it wasn't really that conscious it, it was just this uh, effect of making music all the time having music in your head speaking as, it as your native tongue so to speak and then whatever I liked I wanted to do myself I wanted to improvise in that style Hmm. That's very uh, interesting, you know, idea t to speak about music, musical compositions or musical style as as a language, right? Uh, as the way of communicating. Yeah, actually, I, I think that is also um, a very good way of thinking about it because it also explains why so many people don't improvise. Because we have worldwide, we have an educational system that works with reading from the beginning. So your first musical lesson will be looking at a paper, looking at notes, and then you have to take some action, press a key or uh, another instrument, and then you will hear music. But that's the, the wrong way ar around. You should start with, uh, like a, a child does, it starts all with listening. Uh, then after a while the child understands the words, then you start repeating those words and after a while you make small sentences and then you can speak that language and much, much later you start reading and writing. And because we do it this way in music, that we start with the reading, uh, most people will never be able to really speak the language because they can only read it fluently even, and the level is of course very high. So technically there's no problem. But, it, but it's still like um, speaking Japanese from a book. You can perfectly uh, read what it's in the, in the book and it sounds great, but you don't really speak Japanese. So it's a kind of crazy system that we have in music, I think. And that's also the big difference between what we do now and how it was in earlier days. That's exactly right, Sitsa. Um, uh, 
people basically learn their native tongue just by listening right to their parents talk to their uh, people in their environment right and only later read yeah. and and it all starts uh, right. with listening using your ears and much much later it starts with uh, having input from the outside to, to learn how to read but it all starts with listening that's the most important thing Mm -hmm. So, so you probably were listening to the great master works of of early masters or early composers, right? And you try to emulate er, and assimilate their style just by listening, probably. Yeah, exactly. So I can remember from early childhood on that I listened to all kinds of recordings, very different music, uh, actually. Sometimes Bach, but it could be romantic music, very old music whatever I could my, uh, get my hands on, and I would try to imitate that on the organ. That's very true. Uh, I, I can, for example, it's a very funny thing. I can, I can remember that I listened to the famous uh, march of Mendelssohn, um, the, the wedding march of Mendelssohn for the first time, and I really liked that piece, but it's of course all in that famous chord that, that's right in the beginning, the, the wonderful chord that makes that piece so special, and I looked for, for I think for days to find that chord on my little reed organ and I was so excited when I finally got it and once you, you have it and you understand it you can use it in different pieces as well so that's how you learn it uh, you, you listen to something you try to imitate it you adapt it you understand it and then you can use it for yourself in your own language that's exactly right it's a, uh, and with this piece uh, the Mendelssohn Marsh right did you did you uh, did you also try to transpose into other keys as well? Uh, well, that's actually the easy part. When you, I think that's part of improvising. Once you understand the piece, it's really not important in what key you play it. So, um, I just had some favorite keys that I wanted to play in, but I could actually, I still can do that um, if I know a piece pretty well. I can play it in whatever key I like, because it's all about understanding the music and, and not just having kind of muscle memory that you play pieces because your fingers remember what to do. It should be in the head that you really understand the piece and then it's really not important in what key you want to play it. Uh -huh. So you just basically have to know the piece deep inside, right? From the inside out. Well, it's again uh, the language. If you understand all the words, all the sentences and you know what's going on, then you can probably say it in different words as well. That's the, the, the same thing as in language again. I think you can, almost to every detail, you can adapt music to a language. It's the same process in your head, it's the same way you use your brain. So the more I study about it, the more I discover that it's exactly the same thing going on in your head. Well, that's a great idea, because uh, I think um, uh, these pieces that we admire by Bach or by Buxtehude, right? The f famous uh, Stilus Fantasticus uh, Preludiums and Toccatas, they were probably conceived with the idea as the um, musical sermon, right? Taken, uh, taken f the same rhetorical figures from that that ancient uh, uh, Greek orator uh, oratoric on uh, Roman masters also used in their speeches, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was all part of your education that you understood, okay, I start very strong with a, a very beautiful big sound, We're making some big impressions, and then I have to have a big contrast, so something soft, maybe something with a different form. And of course, during the, the, uh, the, the years, it would 
turn into something that really became sublime, a very perfect form. And everyone in that in that period, so if you were Buxtehude or Bruns or uh, Lübeck, you would know these types of forms and you would shape it into your own pieces with more or less the same form, but in your own language, in your own uh, style. And um, that's of course pretty amazing uh, what kind of pieces that, that uh, became. Uh, and of course, what we have on paper now is merely the, the, the perfection of those pieces, but they could improvise those pieces just on the spot all the time. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. That's right. And um, uh, do you think that memory uh, plays a big role here in improvisation as well? Definitely. It's again the same as if you deliver a speech. You must be aware of the subject you are talking about. You must have quite some knowledge about it. And during your speech, you must be perfectly clear that you understand, okay, I've just said this, or I should probably explain this now, and I don't, I shouldn't forget that I already said that, but maybe I should repeat it, or I should say it in different words. It's the same process. If you just blur out a lot of words about something, no one will understand. But if it has a, a very good form, and if you uh, remember exactly what you just said and what you want to say, it's really structured, then uh, it becomes a very good speech. The same for music, uh, only a good form uh, works, I think. Whatever style you improvise, it should have a good form. I always say, as a little joke, it should start with once upon a time, and then something very exciting happens, and it should end with, and they happily live ever after, and otherwise it's not a good improvisation. Yeah. Yes, um, so uh, I wonder, uh, it's, uh, um, uh, you know, this experience uh, with our classical training, uh, with, uh, with four-part harmony in school, uh, I wonder if it's, 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 if it's the right way to start improvising. Uh, well, of course it is an important part, because harmonization is the, the basic thing of improvising. But I don't think you should start, uh, well, again, don't start with paperwork. So don't give people all kinds of uh, harmonies that they should analyze, they should do something with. Why not just start with a beautiful melody? Because I think that's what I did in earlier days. Every child knew a lot of church uh, hymns. Well, for example, Bach, we know, of course, exactly what he learned at school. The whole dritte taal die klavierübung consists of the songs that they sang every week in school. So those were the hymns they all knew, and from those hymns you just learned how to harmonize them. That's step one. And then from harmonizing you go to making little variations and then ending up with bigger improvisations. So what I always do is start with harmonizing, but without any paper. It should be about a melody that's really in your system. It should be part of you. and from very simple harmonizations in the beginning, you go to more complex harmonizations, and from there you develop it into real improvisations. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, do you encourage um, people who are trying to improvise also to write down their improvisations, like compositions? Uh, that can be a very good tool, um, just to to make a form really perfect, that you understand, okay, I have to improvise in a certain meter, or um, if you want to improvise a fugue, it's always good to write down a few beginnings of fugues, so that you really understand what is going on. 
but it's only a, a kind of training tool. It, it's not like uh, that you really have to write down a lot of improvisations. I, I don't think that helps you, because in the end, the work is done in your head and not, well, like I always say, don't use any paper. It's all in the head. It's all uh, your ears that you do the work and your brain. So the less paperwork, the better it is, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, that's definitely right. And you know this great um, um, master of improvisation, French uh, master Marcel Dupré, was uh, quite uh, strict about uh, teaching people to improvise. His famous treatise on improvisation starts with four-part harmonization, and it and I feel that uh, uh, it kinds of uh, kind of limits people right from the starts because not everybody is on that level of being able to harmonize uh, you know in four parts so is there any other uh, more accessible way do you think to start improvise well i always start and you can even do it with small children uh, i start with a melody so uh, like i said a, a hymn or just a little folk song that, that someone knows very well you could even do, do as simple as, as twinkle twinkle little star or something that everyone knows start with playing that melody and then with only the, the one four five system so only using three different triads you can harmonize it already and that's actually something that you can learn a child five or six years old they can already do it uh, in about an hour you, they can harmonize with only those three chords so that's the beginning i think and then uh, it's very important to go step by step that's actually what i like about dupre that he's really really very systematic um, but of course you have to be systematic in a way that whatever step you add just add something to your vocabulary that you really understand the language and that you go from only small words to bigger words to small sentences to bigger sentences it should make sense that you really add a little building stone all the time until you really understand what you are doing and the good thing about that is that if you don't understand something or it doesn't work you can always go one step back really study that and then add that other step. And again, it's the same as in a language. Um, when I started, started to, to talk in another language like English or German, in the beginning, it's very simple using the same words over and over again, small sentences. After a while, when you know the language a little bit better, you add more because the simple things are already part of your system. You don't think about them anymore. It's just there. Uh, and then you can add more words, more complicated sentences, and after a while you can uh, almost speak it as your native tongue. But it's always almost, it's never on the same level. The, no one can do that except when you really uh, are bilingual and you learned it from childhood on or you have a special gift. And that's the same as in improvisation. When you learn it at a later age, you can still learn the craft of improvisation. But it's never going to be your native tongue like someone who did it from childhood on. So that's why it's so important to, to start harmonizing with children instead of giving them books and just practicing technical skills on an organ or another instrument. It should be about their ears and about uh, really learning how to, do, how to have the first steps to speak that language of music. Mm -hmm. That's great, Zita. I think um, also that we have to mention to our listeners that one of the great fears uh, people have about uh, improvisation as grown-ups, for example, when they already have some technique and, and they can play some musical pieces, right, at some level, uh, they have a um, fear of 
making a mistake mistake in improvisation they 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 have a fear of of failure of of uh, looking stupid in public for example right yeah and, and of course that that makes perfect sense because they already studied music for a long time so they they know what the language is about they know how it should sound and then they have to try for themselves and the words don't come out perfectly it's makes complete sense because they never practiced it and that's of course the problem when you don't start at an early age um, there is such a big difference between what you can improvise and what you can play from the great composers that it's almost impossible to to, uh, to reach that uh, but it is possible if you train it a lot and if you are really very consistent but that's actually the main reason that a lot of people don't want to have the they don't want to try really to improvise because why bother? I can play all those beautiful pieces. Why do I have to add my own very childish stuff at the beginning? Uh, and only a lot of hard work can bring you on a level that it sounds acceptable. So I totally understand those people. On the other hand, it is really worth it to try it. And of course, you have to make mistakes in the beginning. And you have to try all kinds of things uh, that don't work in the beginning. But the longer you practice it, and the more systematically you practice it, the better you get. And after a while, you discover that you can really reach the level of some composers. Of course, you will never be the, the same as Bach or, or other really great composers. That's just impossible. But you can go for that goal. You can try how far you can reach to, to get to a very good level. And that's exactly true. And uh, people... Uh, if Probably uh, when they start to improvise, right, they are uh, at the basic level and they are already uh, more proficient in, with their technique, right? And um, it they have to realize that it takes a lot of time and effort to be at that level with improvisation. So if you spend, for example, five years in, in sight reading music and developing technique and, and uh, playing the repertoire, and you reach a certain level of proficiency, right? You have to probably be honest with yourself and uh, say that it will take exactly five years uh, from uh, from scratch to start with improvisation in order to be in, in that level as well. Yeah, that's very true. And of course, it depends on the kind of personality that you have. I have a very good friend in Germany and he started improvising was already in his 50s and he is in his uh, 80s now actually but he can improvise wonderful but he was so systematically about it he really uh, read everything there's to read in the old masters what they told uh, about improvising uh, and what we know about it and very systematically he started with harmonization small forms small variations and he wrote down a lot of that stuff how he practiced it so that's a great help for me as well when I teach because he was so systematically and just practicing, practicing, practicing and now you can just ask him to make a beautiful uh, fugue on a, on a little chorale or another theme and he can do it on the spot and it, it, it's perfect uh, so, so he is for me the living proof that whatever age you have you can still learn it, you can learn the craft of improvisation but of course it depends on your personality if you are able to really uh, be that systematic uh, about it and of course the one thing you, you can't learn is being creative so again the same in, in a language some people that they, they do speak their native tongue but they 
they're not really great speakers. And other people, they can talk like they, they, they can talk all day and, and you can ask them anything and they will have a wonderful story for you. So that's exactly the same again, this, this kind of uh, how you can speak a language, the, the, how creative you are, that's different from person to person, of course. Yeah, uh, I I like your uh, your um, description of storytelling, right? Um, when when you make music, you're basically telling a musical story, right? And um, like we are to, uh, today, we're con- we having this conversation totally without any script, without any memorization, just being on the spot, talking about the things that we love, right? And yeah. we are improvising. Yeah, that's today. exactly the same process, definitely. Right. Uh, and, and, and all kinds of things that comes with music are exactly the same. So, uh, say that I'm not feeling well today or I have a headache, I, I won't be as uh, eloquent to explain something uh, as on another day. And that's the same with improvisation. Uh, some stories work out fine. Sometimes you have an ugly organ that doesn't work at all and, and it's really hard work to make a good story. And, Another day you will have a beautiful organ and it's beautiful weather and you feel good and then you get a beautiful story. And that's, of course, also the, the magic of the whole thing. It wouldn't be nice if you can explain every detail about music. There is always a kind of magic that's just part of, of the moment. Uh, it works or it doesn't. And that's what I love. Otherwise, everyone could do the same thing. And now it's always a surprise and you always get results that you wouldn't expect or are different than you... Uh, anticipated on and that's what I love about music it's, it's always different and it's indeed always a story that can end in a different way you know what I noticed about people uh, about listeners when other people improvise uh, the listeners really enjoy uh, if they can understand the musical story uh, the person the musician improviser creates so uh, for example if you can uh, improvise a real uh, story like a uh, fairy tale of some sort or 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 a, um, uh, or a legend of, of some some folk uh, folk tradition right or a biblical story for example and let the people either read the story in the program notes or you even announce before your improvisation then your listeners can really connect with you much more yeah, that's very true. That's my experience too. Um, even when you compare it to playing literature, when you play a well-known piece, a lot of people are listening listening for what kind of tempo is he using, which stops is he using. Hey, I know this piece a different way, and I don't like this, or oh, this is beautiful. And when you listen to improvisation, you don't know what to expect, so it's already a different uh, attitude that you have. And then when you are listening to a story that you can really understand, and that's one of my main reasons to use uh, church hymns to improvise on, because a lot of people know these beautiful melodies, so if you make an improvisation on them, they really can follow my story. And that's a very special feeling, even when you play an organ with a big repositive all the way at the other side of the church, you can just feel that people are listening very carefully and they really understand what is going on so that's for me always a very special experience mm-hmm. that's right and Zitze, i think uh, um, another reason for people uh, who are afraid uh, to improvise is that they are always um, 
they uh, they love to be in control for example if they memorize the music or they can sight read it well then they feel that they are in control right but in, in improvisation you don't always have this feeling when you are in control right you you can can come up with situations when your uh, one hand wants to go right and instead it goes down right uh, to the left or vice versa or your feet uh, are mixed up so what happens uh, in your situation how you deal with the factor of the unknown well actually um, I must admit I'm kind of a control freak um, so I always try to stay on top of things that I know exactly what I'm doing but actually when you are in the middle of an improvisation and it really goes well uh, I like the organ, I like the sound, sometimes things happen and then I hear a recording of that concert and I think, well, what did I do here? Uh, how did I do it? I, I really don't remember anymore. And those are actually the best moments, I think, that you get lifted up at a certain level that you wouldn't expect, it's that just the music uh, catches you and, and you just go along with the flow. It, it's really wonderful when it happens. But actually, normally, I, I'm very much in control because that's the way I study too and how I teach it um, because the more you control all the, the tools that you have in the musical language the more you can speak a very good you, you can tell a good story uh, and of course sometimes things can go uh, wrong in a way that you didn't expect and then of course you must be able to uh, have the tools to, to bring it back on track again and uh, well the same goes for, for this one um, if it happens, sometimes it's in the end actually a very nice thing that happened because it, it wasn't meant to be and people will hear it, uh, especially when you improvise in an older style, you can exactly hear when, when things go wrong. And sometimes it works actually uh, at a certain moment that you have a, a very special effect because something went wrong. But like I said, normally I'm, I'm kind of a control freak, so I really like to, to be on top of things that I know exactly what's going to happen and what just happened. And where I want to go, that it's very much controlled. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting idea, Sitsa, because how can you be in control, for example, when you are improvising a double fugue? Uh, well, like I said, you have to be in control of all the tools, so if you are able to make a fugue without thinking too much, so like, like I said with the language, if you master a lot of the, the words, the small sentences, the bigger sentences, the whole grammar of a language, you don't have to think about it that hard anymore. And then you can add more complicated things. You can also compare it to playing chess. Um, when you begin playing chess, you really have to think very hard of the next move. But if you play it for a long time and you're really good at it, you can already think like 20 moves ahead. And there, there's even people that can play like 10 different games at the same time and they will still remember exactly where they are at every game and which next move they are going to make. And they can even anticipate on the moves the other one is going to make. Well, and that's, that's also part of your brain, how it works. After a while, you can just park some things uh, in, in a spot on the hard drive, so to speak, and it just runs, it works, and then you can concentrate on more complex things that are directly ahead and you can concentrate on that without things going wrong and that kind of control is also something that you can really practice by doing it a lot and really understanding what's going on 
Uh-huh. So you you know uh, you mentioned uh, the similarity between this uh, the improvisation and chess. This is so profound similarity that I also remember reading uh, about one uh, Roger North, uh, English Baroque composer and theorist from the 17th century basically in England he wrote a treatise about the the art of improvisation in England and he also uh, writes about the similarity of of chess uh, chess the game of chess and improvisation where he basically describes how uh, the player who memorizes the the the, the more moves I- in the beginning right then he will be in control of the entire game so that's that's how he teaches to mem- memorize uh, certain patterns not exact uh, f- not exact uh, figurations of of music musical ideas but certain patterns and uh, as they say loci in in latin r- right the ideas basically and no. then they can elaborate it later on uh, do you think that's uh, that's a good idea? Yeah, that's exactly what it is, and that's of course uh, why forms came into being. Uh, a fugue has a certain form, and even every choral prelude, a good choral prelude, has a certain form. So once you are aware of that, and you can master different forms, and of course every composer and also every improviser has its favorite forms. I, you can immediately hear when when there is a piece of Bach. Uh, played anywhere because you recognize the style in certain forms and the same goes when you improvise uh, When I improvise in a Baroque style a lot of people will recognize it because well, it's typical how I do it But within those forms you are completely free what you can do so the different uh, voice leading the, the different chords you use the different uh, tonalities uh, different way of, of making progress in that form you can change it all the time but you still have that, that framework of form that you can use all the time and that's actually something that's like I said it's on your hard drive the program just runs and you don't have to think about it all the time in the beginning you really have to practice that for example if you have a form in a three-quarter meter you really have to be careful to stay in that meter and not like like you often hear when people improvise the, the later the meter changes all the time you really have to be aware of a certain rhythm a certain beat that goes on and after a while you are able to master it and you don't think about it anymore and then you can be completely free actually within that form without without losing control mm-hmm. uh, you know what I think it's uh, it's very interesting about uh, the difference uh, of the improvisers who lived in the Baroque period and nowadays musicians because in the Baroque period they only had this uh, this uh, uh, one set of rules basically they had to learn one musical language uh, is so but today today people want to improvise in the baroque in the romantic in the model styles and uh, of various histo- historical periods and national styles as well they want to create their own ideas so th- there are so many things to choose from and to to incorporate so I think uh, today is more difficult to to, uh, to learn to improvise everything, don't you think? Yeah, that's definitely true, and, and not only because of the amount of styles that we know now, but also imagine living in the days of Bach. Um, well, actually, if you were called Bach, if you were part of that family, you were a musician, because that's what you did. And if you were called Smith, 
January of Lexmith, of course, and the same goes for Baker and you name it. Um, you were just in a certain family and that was your, your uh, occupation, that's what you did. So from childhood on you would just grow up in a certain atmosphere and you would learn all the things you had to learn to be very good in your trade. And that's also completely changed now. Um, so, so no one uh, is easily going to speak the, the, the language of improvisation as his native tongue. That, that's really the exception if that happens to you. So that's already the first problem. And then indeed, what is your language going to be? Because, well, there are so many different opinions. There are quite a lot of famous organists that tell me, well, why improvise in an older style? Um, you have to tell something new. But for me, if I improvise in a Baroque style and it really suits the organ I'm playing, it, it really lets the organ sound wonderful. Uh, and it's still a new story. It's not old music, it's brand new music, but in an ancient language. And of course, that's something that you really have to defend these days. But also, it, it's a problem, I think, because I love mother music as well. But there's also so, so many things to choose from. I mean, uh, the, the starting of the atonal period is more than a century ago. So that's old music as well. So what is modern music? So for me, it's it's important, and that's uh, I discover it more and more. My first thing is the instrument itself. I love to play old organs, so that should be the main focus. That instrument should really sound wonderful when I play it. And if if that is the focus, then the question of style is not that important anymore. It's not about the artist. Uh, telling people, look how wonderful I am, what I have to tell. Now it's about the instrument. Uh, listen how wonderful this instrument sounds. And the good part of that is when the instrument sounds great, uh, they will tell you, you play wonderful. So it comes actually quite naturally that way. So for me, that was really the discovery, okay, it's about the instrument, not about the artist and what I have to tell. I put the instrument in front of everything and Maybe that's, that's crazy for some people, because uh, you can't imagine a violin player uh, telling everyone, well, my instrument is my main thing. No, you go to a concert to hear that violin player. But for me, the instrument is really one of the most important things. That's exactly right, Sita. I completely agree with you, because, you know, what, uh, what uh, sets me free, for example, when I improvise, I always also think about the instrument first and how to basically present it and demonstrate to the people and explore the the best and the brightest and the most beautiful sounds it can make throughout the the entire recital for example so uh, i explore different sounds and stop combinations and then and then of course um, this gives me the flexibility right if i uh, for example if i change the stops by hand uh, i can i can be very very free in choosing the stops that i want and i if i discover that something doesn't work doesn't fit on that particular instrument i can do something else just just as freely because because i am the creator at the moment right yeah i, I uh, agree totally. That's exactly my point of view too. And that's also one of the reasons that I never use assistance when I play a concert, because it's so wonderful to be completely free at the instrument and let the instrument do the talking. And actually when I play a, a big North German organ and I play a, a Stilus Fantasticus piece, I always try to use the stops in a way that it makes sense, that you don't have to change the stops every five seconds all the time. Uh, and then actually you discover that um, most of the time it really falls in place. It, 
all makes sense, the, the way of using the stops. And I even uh, have the feeling, and it's of course only a feeling, I can never uh, make that in, in an official statement, but uh, I always get the feeling that I really understand how people were thinking and playing in earlier days. They, they really go from the instrument to the music, and then it all makes sense. And you also discover that a lot of people are all about uh, maybe reading old manuscripts or having very uh, strong thoughts about music, but they still project it on the instrument instead of letting the instrument do the talking. And that's so important, I think, also for organ restorations, for the way you play old music. The organ has to do the talking because that's still the sound that, um, well, hopefully at least, that's the sound that the old masters had in their ears too. Mm -hmm. Very interesting idea. I, I remember uh, when I heard you improvise and I also had this idea, uh, you know the story about uh, uh, Johann Adam Reinken and, uh, and Johann Sebastian Bach, how they met for the second time? Uh, when in 1721, I believe, uh, Bach uh, traveled to Hamburg, right, to Katharinenkirche, to to play for the for the old master himself to improvise for the second time, and uh, uh, Reinken gave this uh, this young uh, or not young but already mature Johann Sebastian Bach this this comp compliment of saying I thought that this art was dead but i now see that it lives in you so i when i heard uh, your improvisations it's on youtube for example i i i thought the same thing <laughs> well it's one of my favorite stories too but i would never compare myself to bach of course but that's the, well like rager said the beginning and ending of all music um it's always my goal i i love the music of so dearly, so I always try to incorporate as much as I can in my improvisations. Uh, and, and it's also an interesting thought, what, why would Reinken say this to Bach? Uh, I, I think Reinken was himself a great improviser, uh, and that's probably one of the reasons that we don't have that much music of his, because he could just improvise very well, uh, and he was very well known, he was famous, so why a lot of work in writing down all kinds of organ pieces when you are famous for your improvisations. And he was probably at an even higher level than quite some of his colleagues. So in Bach he recognized someone that could easily uh, get on that same level as what he did. Because, well, we all know that, uh, that if Bach was even remotely as good in improvising as in composing, it must have been so marvelous to hear what he was able to do on the spot. For me, that's always a big question, at what level could they improvise in those days? If you imagine a piece like uh, Das Musikalische Opfer, uh, which of course was started out as an improvisation, and Bach just sublimed it by uh, making a composition out of it, I would really die for uh, an example of what did he improvise uh, for the king at that moment. Uh, at what level was this? Could he really improvise uh, uh, Richard Carr with six, uh, with, with six voices like he wrote it down? That's, that's so interesting for me to, uh, to have a glimpse of what were they able to do. Or for example, which is also uh, one of my favorite composers, Matthias Beckmann. Um, he is actually one of those composers, more like the, the old Renaissance style, that really sat down at the table and worked all those canonic forms, uh, the very difficult forms to uh, 
you really had to sit down and think about them. But on what level could he improvise? Was it really possible to improvise canonic forms like that? Or was that really the typical difference between improvising and composing? Those are questions that really intrigue me, but we will never know on what level they improvised. It's just impossible to, to, to know. So for me, that's always very interesting to think about and to try to relive that whole period. Mm -hmm. That's interesting idea, Sitsia. Uh, I've heard uh, um, from uh, Bill Porter, the famous American improviser, a, a citation or a, an idea that he believes that that anything that can be written down basically can be improvised as well. So <laughs> he believes this. Yeah, that's a dangerous thing to say because. Uh, at a certain point, uh, when we come to the Romantic period, we can check this the difference between improvising and composing. So, for example, we have recordings of Dupré improvising, or Vienne, and there's actually a, a big gap between them improvising and composing. So, um, that proves, at least in this period, that it really grew apart, because uh, uh, improvisation, especially Marcel Dupré, when he improvised, uh, it's still beautiful, and it's wonderful music, but the recordings we have, it's not really that complex what he does. It's actually quite easy to copy. Uh, and then when you see his compositions, that's something else. He really thought about every chord, uh, very complex harmonies, very virtuosic stuff that you really can't improvise on the spot. So, uh, at least in that period, it really grew apart. And of course, we don't know how far it was apart in the days of Bach and Buxtehude. It was probably not exactly the same, uh, because uh, pieces like uh, The Art of Fugue or Van Himmel Hoog, I think those were really kind of masterpieces that they had to write down to, to just prove, okay, this is what you can do when you compose. Um, but for me, it's the big question, could they also do it when they improvised? And of course, in the case of Bach, I think he could make marvelous fugues, double fugues, probably even triple fugues, but, well, if it was on the same level as his compositions, we will never know. Mm -hmm. You know, another story I want to, I, I like to fantasize about is, uh, remember this uh, duel or contest between uh, Johann Sebastian Bach and Louis Marchand in Dresden that never basically happened because Louis Marchand got scared uh, while hearing uh, uh, Bach uh, improvise in rehearsal, in practice uh, the day before and he basically left, <laughs> left Dresden and uh, so this duel never, never was uh, completed. So I, I wonder if Bach was alive today uh, and you, he met uh, such masters as you, yourself and other people uh, in, our, in our profession around the world, I wonder if he would be proud of our achievements as well. Yeah, that's difficult to say. Of course, that's one of my favorite stories too. And I think part of it is that the French style is wonderful, I love it, but it is actually much easier to improvise because it's not nearly as complicated as the German style. It's more the effect of having beautiful chords, beautiful trills, beautiful ornamentation, and it's not so much about having very complex forms. So I can imagine that Marchand was pretty much impressed by Bach, who could not only do a perfect French style, of course, but 
could do Italian style, his own German style, making a very complex counterpoint. It's something that Marchand probably never uh, could do when he improvised. But yes, in, indeed, if Bach would live today, I, I have no idea what he would think. Um, and not only about the playing, but also the, the, the kind of organs we build, the kind of music we make. I, I think the big achievement of this day uh, and age is that we have so much information, we can just really drown ourselves in so many things that were impossible in, in the days of Bach. On the other hand, when you lived in those days, imagine you were a musician and the only thing you did was making music, thinking about music. Um, if you had a concert somewhere, you were traveling for weeks, uh, months maybe, uh, that was your one goal for a whole part of the year sometimes. The same for organ building. An, an organ builder would, would just travel for weeks to get at a certain point, uh, to talk to people about the organ. Then months later, he would have a nice plan how to do it. It, 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 it took a lot of time, but it was also all they did. So they were really good at their profession and they didn't have all the things we have that um, that we have to do at the same time and we just take half an hour for this and then we travel for an hour with the car to something else. And there are so many things that distract us from just being a very good uh, musician or a very good organ builder. So for me, that's also a very interesting question. Is that one of the reasons that maybe they were much better than we think in those earlier days, not only in organ building, because that, that's something we can still uh, just see that a lot of old organs sound just better than most new organs, but was it the same with music making? That's a big question for me. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true, Zitze. And um, of course, when you improvise, uh, you must have some some challenges, right? Personally, you. I wonder if if you could share some of the more difficult and troublesome uh, things that you encounter in improvisation for yourself today. The things I always like to do uh, when I play in, in Baroque style is to make it more and more perfect so that uh, the voice leading, the counterpoint is, is more and more complex and interesting. But I also like to play in different styles that I don't really master that well. And well, one of my wishes is, for example, that I'm able, maybe in a few years, to play in a style of uh, the, the, the earlier French romantic, uh, like uh, Midor or Franck. Because the thing is, most people, there are of course tons of organists that like to play in a French style, and then they mean the style of Corchevaux and later. Um, and actually that means don't have too many rules, be very uh, virtuose, uh, use the organ very impressive, which is fine, um, but what I like is uh, I never met an organist that can really do uh, a symphony in the style of Vienne or Midor or a beautiful Frank uh, symphonic piece. Um, and that's much harder because again, like in Baroque style, you have so many more rules to uh, adapt to that it really sounds right. And that's not just a kind of fantasy or something brand new that no one can judge. So for me, that's one of my goals that I would like to reach. I don't know if I will be able to, but that, that's one of the things that I really see as a challenge to have more uh, tricks on my sleeve, so to speak, that I, I can use more styles than what I do so far, because now I really like to do some late Renaissance, some Baroque, um, sometimes the kind of neo-baroque thing, which is of course similar in a way because you use very strict forms again. But that whole period, the, the 19th and early 20th century in France, I love that music and I would love to be able to, to do something in that style as well. 
that's a great idea to uh, to try to uh, refresh the the style of of uh, Vierno and Vidor. You know what it is? It's in in literature, for example, or in uh, in movies. Uh, it's called fan fiction because when you go to the movie, right, that you love, for example, Star Wars, right? Uh, people love Star Wars, and uh, then later on, if they come back home and they wish they 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 had a sequel, right, or another episode of that movie, and they create themselves uh, Star Wars number eight or number eleven or or Star Trek or any other uh, uh, novel, for example. Uh, they try to have the same characters but a different set setting, a different story. So what we are doing in improvisation, I think, when we are emulating these older styles, even even Vierne style and even Dupre style and Langlais style, right? People who lived in the past, basically, we are sort of creating fan fiction, right? In a way. Yeah, I think that that's very true and that's also part of the success because it's music that people love and you create something new in that language that they love and understand. So uh, I think that's part of the success of improvising in these styles uh, and of course uh, I'd, I'd really like to, to stretch that too that it's important to find new ways as well so I, I don't hate modern music or something but the problem is that it's so often in a style in a language that a lot of people even professional musicians they don't really understand it so then it's very difficult to reach people and if you do it in older styles, not only the instrument sounds great, but you really reach people. And that's, of course, one of the main things. You have to communicate with your public. Otherwise, it's, it's no use to make music. And what do you think about improvisers on the organ who, uh, who are uh, only improvising in their own style? They're trying, trying to create their own ideas, not to, uh, similar to Bach, Buxtehude, or Wierne and Frank or Reger or Hindemith, but they're trying to uh, leave their own footprints in the universe. Well, I, I actually find that fascinating as long as I, uh, as a listener, uh, can understand what's going on. And of course, uh, when I can see and hear that there's really some craftsmanship added to it. Uh, for example, you just had this wonderful conversation with Hans-Ola Eriksson. Yes. And he really believes this, and when he plays, it's so strong because you can just sense that he has a, a, an important story to tell, and then I really like it. But if it's only uh, someone that is very creative with sounds, but don't really, uh, and, and there's actually quite a few organists that, that work that way, they, they don't really improvise, don't ask them to, to make a good harmonization of a choral, they, they can't do it. But they think they improvise because they will make very special sounds and, and of course an organ is, is a perfect sound machine. You can make a lot of very impressive sounds and if you are able uh, with your creative talents to, to make something interesting out of it, uh, you will get results. But I, I really um, don't like that approach. Uh, actually even in Haarlem at the famous contest, it's still in that mode that you should have something special to tell and it's, it's not bound to any rule, so it's also in, uh, totally uh, impossible to judge it because how can you ju judge something that you don't understand? Um, so I think that's a, a dead street. You, you really have to, to come up with things that you believe in, uh, that really are part of a craft 
and then you can maybe tell something new. But uh, like I said, it is important to always look for new things, but it shouldn't be the only thing because that's also a tendency that organists that only support modern improvisation, they hate it when you do something in old style. They will really, really tell you that something that's from the past, we don't need it anymore, don't do that, that it's ancient history. And then I, I really disagree because um, it's and, and. You have to do both. You have to look for new ways, but it's also as important to let the old organ sounds good and um, to be able to recreate music from the past to really understand the music better because, well, I, I'm a better organist because I play in old styles, so I really can understand what, what Buxtuder was thinking when he composed something, and I think that's worth something too. And of course the whole idea that you uh, c can tell whatever you like in whatever style uh, on whatever organ that you can adapt to the instrument, that's very important to me, much more important actually than just having only my own story and the organist to adapt to it, uh, whether it can or not. Um, that's not the way I, I like to go. But like I said, I do like modern improvisation a lot, actually. Uh -huh. uh, when you improvise, it's a uh, modern music. Uh, do you sometimes improvise on the early instruments as well, this modern style as well? Uh, depending on the instrument, sometimes uh, you can do wonderful things. For, for example, uh, well, I just played last week in, in uh, Amsterdam on the beautiful organ in the Nieuwe Kerk. A wonderful instrument and I had to improvise for an hour which I normally don't do because that's too long I think but they asked it so I decided to do an improv in uh, what well, more or less the style of Bach then a modern improv and then something uh, a big partida in a baroque style um, and that modern improvisation was not really that modern it was kind of uh, in the meat style uh, a little bit in the neo-baroque style but it really uh, fits the organ very well because uh, a neo-baroque style um, is of course uh, well uh, compare it to, to um, um, Diesler having this wonderful old organ in Lübeck um, that's the type of sound that you can really use to play in that style as well but I would never go as far to really do something against the nature of the organ so it should be a style even when it's very modern that you still bring out uh, the best of the organ and that's of course a big challenge and it doesn't always work, but it, it's worthwhile uh, trying things uh, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. But uh, at the same time, sometimes the instruments, the older instruments have such a tremendous uh, depth and bre breadth of possibilities that we sometimes can really uh, play uh, not only modern music, but even avant-garde music on this. I remember, uh, for example, hearing on the uh, the uh, Schnitger style instrument in uh, Gothenburg, Sweden, Örgryte uh, New, New Church. Remember this uh, big project uh, that Gowart completed in 2000. Uh, Hans Davidson performed uh, Volumina by Georgi Ligeti. On this instrument that, that is completely quarter comma mintone, four manuals, uh, uh, basically North German style layout, everything is pumped by hand, uh, he had calcans and everything, but he performed this avant-garde music from the 1960s uh, and it sounded so convincing of course, these clusters and uh, these, these strange and weird sounds, so sometimes we can venture to the 
uh, to the world of unknown even on the older instruments I think quite effectively. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, my good friend Bernhard Etzkus, the organ builder, he always says um, good sounds support a lot of music and bad sounds don't support anything. So, and I think that's very true. That means uh, if you have a very good organ sound, even when it's a very old organ, you can still play a lot of different music on it. Uh, it's especially true, I think, for my favorite organ here in Groningen, in the Martinikerk. It supports uh, a tremendous amount of music. You can really play from Zwelling till, well, at least till Mendelssohn, but they even play Rager on it, and even sometimes some French Romantic music. And because the sound is just so beautiful, so vocal, so musical, it really supports uh, a tremendous amount of music. Can you tell our listeners uh, where they can find out more about you and your work online? Uh, well, it's easy. You can just uh, Google my name and then you will find the website. It's just www.sitsidebris.nl. So that's very easy to find. Excellent. So, Sitsa, you've been such a, a great inspiration for the people around the world. I, I thank you for wonderful this uh, conversation we are having today. And I wish uh, many, many years ahead of you with your musical adventures around the world uh, in various styles, in, 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 in earlier and uh, later styles. And I, and I also uh, want to, to imagine that Uh, if Bach was alive and he had a contest contest with you instead of Louis Marchand you wouldn't flee right <laughs> you would stay and fight you would play I, I think that's true well I'm not sure about it but <laughs> I will have a look for my wig and see what happens <laughs> <laughs> thank but, you, thank so you much. very much I, I enjoyed the conversation very much and it was nice to finally uh, speak to you uh, live because I, I follow your work and I think you're doing really great work. Thank you, Sitze. See you. Okay, goodbye. Bye-bye. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavitus, thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.